is the Under Centre Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Daramar, and I'm joined, as always, by Jake Woolhead. Jake, how are you? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. Had the bye week this week, so I just got to watch a lot of football, uh, drink a lot of beer, and uh, feel quite all right and not watching a giant loss. So. <laughs> Every other team win in your division, though, as we spoke about already, it's 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 tough. It's tough to watch those sort of bye weeks. But we are here on Thursday previewing the Thursday night football. Of course, New England Patriots traveling to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. The Patriots in a great run of form at the moment. The Falcons not so much after their disappointing defeat last weekend. Um, so it'd be an interesting matchup. We are going to be looking at the Falcons later on in the show. Well, first of all, we're going to look from the New England point of view, and we're delighted to have Phil Perry from NBC Sports in Boston joining us today to preview the game. Phil, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us. How are you? Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, just these Thursday games are always a little tricky, you know, so you know if the people covering the team are kind of scrambling to figure things out, uh, the team itself... <laughs> which actually has to worry about the outcome uh, is probably pretty busy at work right now. I know those Patriots guys are as we speak. Yeah. And it's been a, a certainly an interesting season from the sort of new England point of view, the sort of, you could say differing season last year with Cam Newton, the, the bringing in of Mac Jones and, you know, starting one and four this year, but then since then you've gone five and one, um, sitting second in the division, just one game back on the Bills. It's It's been a really, really good stretch these last six games. It's been remarkable, really. I, if you had told me before the season that they would be where they are right now in terms of their record, but not just that, just in terms of how they're playing, how clean it all looks, how in sync a lot of these new pieces are right now, and just how effective the rookie quarterback is being, you put all of those things together. And I would have said, probably not. Maybe, maybe by season's end, you know, if they can survive three quarters of the season and somehow sneak into the playoffs, then good for them. But to me, they're ahead of schedule. And it, it was, it was ugly early on. Again, a lot of those things I think hurt them. Just the fact that they had so many guys who were new, both tight ends, for instance, missed a bunch of training camp. And didn't have time with Mac Jones to be able to work on their connection there. You know, defensively, I think they were figuring out who they were for years, for years. They've been a heavy man-to-man defense. Well, they figured out, okay, we might not have the horses to play man week after week. So they've shifted to more zone, and it's gone incredibly well for them. They've got a rookie pass rusher in Christian Barmore, who has been one of their best players offensively or defensively. Like, these are things that I think would have been difficult to anticipate, and yet here we are, they're playing more and more cleanly week after week. And to me, guys, as the weather starts to turn, the way the Patriots are built will make them a team that teams don't want to play. When you can be as big as they are with Trent Brown coming back and extra offensive linemen on the field and they use two tight ends and they use a fullback, who wants to play against that when you're in Foxborough or even if you're up in Buffalo, the Patriots still have to go up to Buffalo. And it's, you know, it's negative four degrees outside. You don't want to get hammered play after play after play by those guys on the offensive side or you know, Dante Hightower, Jawan Bentley, just destroying guards on a play-by-play basis. Like they are, they are going to be a physically difficult team to play against. You wouldn't call this like a, a modernly built team. They don't have a ton of speed. 
they're not incredibly explosive, even though the numbers would suggest they actually kind of have been lately offensively. But that's just not who they are. They, they're they're a grinded out team, and I think as the year goes along, uh, that will only benefit them. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned um, High Tower there as well because he was one of the many COVID opt out opt outs last year, and, and New England were one of the teams hit most by it. Um, and what has all those players coming in, all those experienced players coming in, especially like you said, done for the the raft of new free agent signings and, and draft uh, picks as well. Hightower in particular has been huge, uh, not just because of what he does and because of, of how he allows them to play where he's a, he's a versatile guy where if you, you watch him against Carolina um, or again last weekend where he's, he's off the line for the most part, but they can also play him on the edge. They can drop him into coverage. They can send him after the quarterback. They can loop him off. Christian Barmore's backside and into the middle of the pocket and affect a Baker Mayfield throw and have him throw an interception that changes the game. Uh, he does all those things, but to me where he's most valuable is as a traffic cop. And as a, as a, you know, the cliche is the coach on the field, right? He's got the green dot. He is the guy who the team really um, I think leans on in terms of their calls in the front seven and there's nobody smarter and we get a chance to actually hear it when we're at training camp and there's, you know, there's very few people in the, you know, that are, that are watching and the noise is what it is. You can hear him. And again, he's going against his own offense in those situations for the most part. So he, he knows the Patriots offensive playbook, but you can hear him alert the screen, alert the, you know, alert the toss alert. You know, he's, he's calling, he's doing the Tony Romo thing, you know, but he's on the field in the middle of it, you know, where he's calling the play before the play happens. And that to me just has immense value. They missed it a lot last year. And for a defense that has as many new pieces as they do up front, Devon Godshaw, defensive tackle, Matt Judon, who's been tremendous on the edge, Christian Barmore again. You have him in the mix and it allows those guys to get caught up to speed, I think more quickly than they otherwise would. The other guy who came back from a COVID opt out last year, who's been really huge for their offense this year has been Brandon Bolden. Brandon Bolden has stepped into the James White role, which is critical in this offense. And they really haven't missed a beat. He's their guy on screens. He's Mac Jones's guy in the flat when he needs a little bit of a check down, but he can run the ball when they need him to. He can chip. He's, we've seen him chip all, 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 many defensive ends, talented guys, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett last few weeks, um, and help their protection that way. So he's been a huge returnee as well for this team. And uh, I just feel, I just wanted to ask you, obviously we, there was a lot of new additions, especially offensively for the Patriots this season. And two of them, uh, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. And, and Hunter Henry is obviously leading, uh, I think, the NFL in tight end touchdowns at the minute with seven, which is, I think, is that's pretty kind of, that's cool for, uh, especially coming in, missing training camp a little bit, not getting the initial kind of chemistry down with Mac Jones. How do you think their relationship has evolved so far on the field? It just it looks like it's going really well. They're kind of clicking into space, especially coming into this second half of the season. They are. There's no question because they, they are doing what they want in the deep red zone right now. They, it's almost like Hunter Henry can't be covered, which is a weird thing to say because he's not this physical freak. Like he's not Gronk, right? He's not going to just, you know, win every jump ball. Uh, you know, he's not going to break away from you between the t the 20s if he gets a little bit of space and take it 60 yards to the house. It's just not who he is. But, man, he knows how to get open, and he understands how to see things the way Mac Jones is seeing them. 
And so over the last several weeks, we've seen him guys used essentially from the same alignment, similar formations, and we've seen him catch touchdown passes on all sorts of different routes. You know, two weeks ago against Carolina, the Carolina defensive back who had him in coverage sagged at the goal line because I think he thought Hunter Henry was run into the back pylon because he's done that many times this year. And even if they haven't hit on a ton, that's sort of a tendency in this Patriots offense. Hunter Henry's smart. Mac Jones is smart. They see that. He sits down right at the goal line. Touchdown against the Panthers. Okay, next week against the Browns, the defensive back sits at the goal line, maybe anticipating that Hunter Henry's going to sit and turn around. Hunter Henry takes it to the corner, beats him to the corner, scores a touchdown that way. Now these guys are all in their own heads trying to figure out how to cover this guy who's not even – listen, I don't want to say this as somebody who's never played a sport at any kind of high level, but he, it's not Kyle Pitts. He's, he's, not, he's not an uber athlete. He's not even Evan Ingram as far as athleticism is concerned. But these guys, you can see the wheels turning on the field. And then at the end of the game, okay, am I, am I sitting at the goal line? Am I running to the corner? Actually, it's neither. He's going to take you to the middle of the field for a skinny post, and he's going to score that way. So – what they're able to do in terms of his route running and Mac Jones's understanding of the defense has, has really been tremendous. John U. Smith, that, that move hasn't worked out quite as well. I think he's still trying to process things in the passing game. He seems to be fighting the football to me a little bit. We've seen some, some drops from him, um, which I wasn't expecting to see. It wasn't necessarily a reputation of his coming out of Tennessee, uh, but they have tried to use him in some creative ways. They've used him in the backfield. They've used him a lot as a run blocker, uh, but he's been a little bit of a gadget guy for them in recent weeks. So they're trying to squeeze some, some more value out of Johnny Smith since he's been a little bit disappointing as a receiver. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Mac Jones, of course, because you know, he is, he, he's the man of the moment at the uh, right now with the Patriots and you know, the, the last of that ro- of rookie class to be drafted. Um, obviously all the reports beforehand was him going to San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan really wanted him. I bet Kyle Shanahan wish he had him now. Um, but maybe not after last night. Um, but I just want to ask, do you think that his success so far this year has been down to mostly him himself? Or would you think that... The Patriots have such a, a, syst- a good system in place that if it was maybe a Justin Fields or if it was, say, for instance, a Trey Lance, that they could still have um, maybe not this level of success, but still be on um, a decent path at the moment. You know, I think they could be on a decent path because I, I think they understand how to develop young quarterbacks that they've got a track record now. You know, and there aren't that many coaching staffs that can go back as far as they can. But because Josh McDaniels has been around for so long, because Bill Belichick has been around for so long, you know, they've had a few cracks at this thing. And, you know, Matt Castle turned out he could play when he he came in 2008. You know, he took over a really good team, uh, but they won 11 games that year in 2008. He got paid and he made a Pro Bowl. And, you know, so, okay, there's there's you know, there's one. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo, who to me has been disappointing. And I've been maybe Jimmy Garoppolo's biggest critic here locally. I think a lot of people still think relatively highly of him because they just felt like he was the chosen one almost. And so they, they kind of built Jimmy up in in their own minds. Um, but he is at least a starting caliber quarterback that you got in the second round. Jacoby Brissett is still in the league and starting games occasionally, depending on how Brian Flores is feeling that day. Um, you know, they, they've done it with Brian, you know, Brian Hoyer, say what you will about Brian Hoyer. The guy's been in the league for about 15 years. It feels like now, but he started here in new England and what's his reputation. Why does he keep getting jobs? Well, because he's a pretty smart guy. And I think a lot of that has to do with his quarterbacking upbringing that he got here in new England. And so 
I think they would have made it like Justin Fields to me would have been my first choice. And I think if they had been able to work with, with him, you know, some of the criticisms that people had of his game in terms of um, being able to just make decisions on time, I think you could really refine that. And then you've got this, this special, special athlete who is ridiculously accurate as a passer. And now you're cleaning up some things that are pretty normal to have to clean up with rookies. And you've got an amazing player in your hands. Like, you know, like to me, he's, he could be, he's certainly not there yet, but he could be a few years from now. I think he could be bigger Russell Wilson. Like I think he could be that kind of playmaker in the NFL. I think he could have been okay here with the Patriots, but the reason why the marriage is working so well between the Patriots and Mac Jones is because what the Patriots want to do and what Mac Jones does is a perfect fit. They want the ball out quickly. They want somebody who's going to be smart with it. They want somebody who's going to be really accurate and be able to test tight windows. They don't need the the runner. That's not how their offense is built. And it's like, okay, well, it's like a chicken or the egg thing a little bit. Like the offense was built a certain way because they had a quarterback who was Tom Brady, who had a certain set of skills. They picked a quarterback who, while certainly not Tom Brady and in all likelihood never will come close to that. The skill sets are similar enough that you can plop him in his first year and he can perform as a top half of the league quarterback. And who knows where he's at by, by season's end. You know, to me, he's already, he, he's kind of elite in terms of his accuracy. You know, can he continue to test windows deep down the field? Can he continue to elevate his team and create some explosive plays because he's willing to do it? We'll see. But they're certainly on the, the right track right now. And I think it's just because of the marriage between the, the scheme, the experience of developing quarterbacks that the staff has, and what Mac Jones himself as an individual brings to the table. I just had Phil a, a question on another area of the offense of the Patriots is the running back room, which uh, led by Damian Harris, who obviously was out and, and a guy who had a field day on Sunday, Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, I think he clears concussion protocol on the Saturday, no training for the entire week. And then puts up, I think, what, what do I have here? 114 total yards, two touchdowns. Um, and just looks kind of incredible making all sorts of cuts and uh, making defenders miss. Do you think there's at some point that Ramondre could maybe overtake the seat uh, of Damian Harris or is it going to just be that split game? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Jake. And I think first and foremost, you know, Bill Belichick is is maybe going to have a problem on his hands here because Ramondre Stevenson doesn't practice, goes out and has the best game of his career as a pro. The week before, J.C. Jackson didn't practice at all has a pick six that changes the game and he's all over the field that he's making plays. And I think Bill Belichick is going to have some players starting to come to him and say, Hey, Bill, I want this to be my week off. And I'm, I'm still going to play on Sunday, but I'm no practice for me. Cool. Cool. That's good. That's all right with you. Right. <laughs> Bill Belichick, you know, has to love that. You know, a guy who loves practice and especially this time of year, we're going to have probably rain tomorrow and snow next week. <laughs> and like, you know, you're going to have guys checking out left and right. But when it comes to how he uses those two, I think as long as Damian Harris is healthy, They'll probably use him as the, the primary guy on first and second downs just because they, they love him. I mean, they do. Uh, to me, he's, he's on track to be one of those guys who, if he can stay healthy, ends up being a, a multi-year captain the way, you know, James White has been, the way, you know, I don't know if his career will be as long as somebody like Devin McCourty or Matthew Slater, but he feels like he's one of the young guys that's kind of trending to be one of these next core guys. That's how well-respected he is here. So I don't know. I don't see his role going away, but Stevenson's been so good. You can't keep him on the sidelines. So they'll figure out a way to use both those guys. They've been creative in using their two back sets. And, and to me, with both, gets back to something that, that I mentioned a little bit earlier in our conversation. 
those types of backs are going to make them hard to play against when it gets cold. You know, whether it's Dante Hightower or Jerome Bentley on the defensive side or 230-pound Ramondre Stevenson or 225-pound Damian Harris coming at you between the tackles, you don't want to tackle those guys. And they're, they're a little bit screwy too. Like they, they're a little nuts. The way they run, their style, it's a lot of fun to watch. I remember talking to DeMarco Murray, who you guys probably remember, you know, longtime NFL running back. He coached Ramondre Stevenson in college. He said, when I got to Oklahoma, Stevenson was our best kick coverage player on kickoff. <laughs> and then I saw how athletic he was. And I said, okay, we got to get that guy off kickoff because he's too valuable to me. He's going to get hurt. But it just speaks to like the, the level of insanity that is there somewhere. Ramondre Stevenson, he just loved flying down the field and killing people. And he takes that same sort of approach to his job now as a running back. Yeah. And, and let's actually have a look um, a little closer at today's game. Um, I will try maybe keep the Super Bowl references to a minimum, but I can't. I, I bet we can't promise it. But um, looking at at the Falcons, you know they they've had a up and down season so far this year. Um, you know they it, good performances followed by bad ones. If you look at you know the win against Miami, losing against Carolina, they then beat the Saints and then they go and lose and get blown out totally by Dallas at the weekend. Cordero Patterson is obviously their main threat on offense. He's questionable at the moment um, if he's going to play or not. But if he does play, the fact that he is that dual threat in the running game and in the passing game, do you see um, Bill having maybe someone stay on him the whole game? Or is it like you were mentioning, just just let the the, the cover defense um, sort him out? Yeah, I'm really interested to, to figure out how they – decide to play this because if Patterson plays he's too athletic to have a linebacker on him right for all the good things that those linebackers bring in the running game they're 250 260 pounds right it's why it's why they are so good in the running game they shouldn't be covering you know and we saw that at times a couple weeks ago Christian McCaffrey leaking out of the backfield and giving them problems so can't play a linebacker on him I think you probably would end up playing one of your safeties. You almost treat him like a tight end because he can do so much. He's part of their running game. He's part of the passing game. If you put a safety in there who can be physical and do both in terms of coverage, but also be strong against the run, that probably would be your best bet. And so somebody like that on the Patriots would be probably Kyle Duggar, who's their, their second year uh, safety division two guy who is a freak athlete himself. So that would actually be kind of a fun matchup to see those two guys go one-on-one. But they've been a really heavy zone team here, guys. They played man for for years and years. It was they were near the top of the league every year for like three or four years in terms of their man coverage percentage. And now they've flipped it. I mean, they they the last few weeks, last I checked, you know, going into um, Sunday's game, they were about seventy percent zone the three weeks prior to that Browns game, and they played a lot of zone again against the Browns. So uh, they may just try to play solid zone and just let those front seven guys take care of the run. And if Patterson ends up leaking out of the backfield, you hope everybody's playing sound enough that you can stop him through the air. The other issue for them Patriots wise in terms of their coverage is Kyle Pitts. And if, if Cordero Patterson isn't playing, I would imagine you're seeing Pitts just doubled all over the field. Like normally the Patriots will double an opponent's number one, third down in the red zone. That stuff's pretty standard. Because he is such a threat and because he's kind of their only threat right now, you might just do it all over the field and just make sure he doesn't kill you and try to force Matt Ryan to beat you somewhere else. 
Okay, perfect. So then on the defensive side, then for the the Falcons looking at the 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 Patriots offense, you know, there's obviously the main guy up front in Grady Jarrett. You always have to keep an eye on. Um, AJ Terrell has actually had a really good season in the backfield as well for um for the Falcons. Uh, would you expect another sort of you know, dominate the game on the ground and then sort of let Mac uh, pick off passes here and there when um, he sees the uh, the box loaded. Yeah, I think that's probably what they'll try to do. That's who they want to be. You know, again, especially this time of year, we get closer and closer to Thanksgiving here stateside, and that's where they, they want to be playing their best football. That's where they really want to sort of come into their own in terms of their identity. And I think that's what they'll try to do. They're always going to try to establish the fact that they can run the football. And when you're looking at this Falcons defense, to me, guys, they're just so vanilla, you know, that I think there will be runs there to be had. You mentioned Grady Jarrett, really good on the interior. And he's somebody that you will have to worry about. And the Patriots love to run inside. And so maybe this week they go to more of the end around stuff that we saw from Kendrick Bourne against the Browns or more of the crack toss stuff that they did with Ramondre Stevenson, just to stress those edges that might be a little bit softer. So they're pretty versatile in that way. They can run power. They can run zone. They want to do that in the running game. They want to be able to keep you on your toes, but if the, the Falcons end up dropping a, a safety into the box and it's a lot of single high and they feel like they're outnumbered down near the line of scrimmage, then you've got to be able to just, test those one-on-ones on the outside you see single high coverage those corners on the outside are on an island and i would have said you know back in week two week three with this offense that's a little bit of a problem because mac jones isn't necessarily going to push it down the field and he's not necessarily going to trust himself or his receivers to win those one-on-ones but the quarterback we've seen lately in the offense we've seen lately they are more willing to do that and we've seen more faith we've seen more aggressiveness the touchdown to kendrick Bourne against the browns he wasn't open. You know, he was getting contacted 10 yards down the field and the safety's coming over the top. There was almost no window there and he threw it anyway. And that, that throw to me was a real sign of, of how much Mac Jones has grown. Because I think again, first month of the season, he would have taken Hunter Henry out into the flat leaking out after he had chipped the end and they would have got maybe two, three yards and they would have been in a bad situation behind the chains. He was ready to rip. And if he can continue to, take that approach moving forward. This Patriots offense has a real chance to continue to be as explosive as they were against the Browns. And it would really make them difficult to defend overall, because when you compare the size that they have in the running game and the, the physicality that they can bring in that aspect with an aggressiveness and an accurate passing game on the outside, I don't know how you devote, you know, how you allocate your resources defensively to make sure that that's all figured out because you know, that, uh, that's a lot to deal with on that end. Phil, I wanted to get your take uh, personally on Bill Belichick's style uh, coming into the games. We all know he has a very spe- uh, spectacular style, maybe not so uh, similar to Cam Newton coming in, but uh, it's certainly a style. I don't know if you could even technically call it a style. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is something else. I mean, when he when he rolled in, uh, I believe it was to Carolina with the sweatsuit the other day that was next level like we know he likes the sweats we know he likes to be comfortable but that was you know you're at you're at a slumber party at your buddy's house <laughs> and something happened in the middle of the night and you just decided it was time to go home like you didn't you didn't like the setup you got a little spooked by something that you heard maybe under the bed and you just you decided to roll out 
Um, <laughs> that that was that was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Cam, yeah, you're not going to see any Cam Newton hats from Bill Belichick anytime soon. Although I would direct you to you guys to Bill Belichick's Monday uh, Zoom press conference with us this week. Very stylish winter coat that he came into that one with. So I don't know if he was just coming to the office that day or if there was like a little draft in the, in the room where he's normally doing his back and forths with us, but um, he was, he brought it, he brought it. He actually got a compliment from someone in the, in the press corps here. And uh, he seemed to really appreciate it. Got it, got a rare smile out of Bill Belichick. Although I say rare smile last month or so, if you guys check it on any of these videos, when you see him pop up, Bill Belichick's been in a very good mood, which is a good indication of where he feels his team is at right now. So we'll just have to continue to track it and see if his, his, uh, his dress sort of um, follows <laughs> along those lines as well. And we start to see a, uh, a more and more glamorous Bill Belichick by the week if his team keeps winning. I think he, somebody asked him um, about how well the team is doing going into the second half of the season. And he said, um, I like to try play well all year round. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. like his. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you, you may, you may not believe this, but we try to, we try to win every game. Yeah, we try to play well all the time. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's cracking jokes at press conferences. He acknowledged the fact that J.C. Jackson didn't practice, then had a great game. He said, "Yeah, I, uh, I had to talk to him about that. I, I just want to make sure that he knows that, you know, we're not doing that all year where he doesn't practice and then ends up being the player of the game." So, you know, he's, he's feeling good right now. He is. And he should, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the guy. I think coming into this year, rookie quarterback. Now you're two years, two years removed from Tom Brady being gone. You had a sub 500 year. Didn't make the playoffs with Cam Newton 2020. And like you spend all the money that you spend in free agency. Like there was pressure this season for his team to be good. Now it looks like they're good. And, and it seems like he's enjoying it. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the the mood of Belichick and where his team is at at the moment. And, and I'd like to get your point of view where you think the team is at because they do seem like a very together group. I, I just think of the the celebration for Jacoby Myers' touchdown on Sunday, obviously his first touchdown in the league. And, you know, there was definitely more than 11 guys on the field there congratulating him. You know, it seems like a really together unit at the moment. And, you know... Like like we mentioned at the start, they're only one game get back on the build, still to play them twice. You know, what could possibly be the ceiling for this team this year? I still think they are very much in the mix to win the division. You know, I, I think the Bills have some real problems. And not that the Patriots are a perfect team by any means. But for them to lose to the Jaguars, I don't chalk that up as a bad week. I, I chalk that up as... Your team, it was a bad week maybe, but your team also has to have had some real issues, some underlying issues for you to perform that badly against one of the worst defenses in football and score six points and lose. I, it's just, to me, they are a little too one-dimensional. And I know they just beat up on the Jets. Congratulations to them. Patriots just did that too, by the way. But like, I, I don't know how much it tells us about where they're at. They've got some issues up front on their offensive line, their ability to run the football. Like in that Jaguars game, they ran it 14 times and Josh Allen had five of those. They scored six points. That's not a healthy offense. There's something wrong there. To me, they're, they're built to be the greatest show on turf. They're not, they're not really built to play in Buffalo. Like, like all the receiving talent that they have, they have this really dynamic quarterback. They want to throw the football. They want to be in 10 personnel, you know, four, you know, four receivers on the field, like, the way that they are structured would lend you to, you know, would lead you to believe that maybe as the season gets later and it gets harder to throw, 
that they get a little worse. And and I just wonder if between the the little bit of a regression that we've seen from Josh Allen last year to this year, some of those dynamic, ridiculous, off-the-wall plays that he made last season just aren't there to, to the same rate, I would say, as they, um, as they were last year. To have some injury issues on the offensive line. Like, I think their defense is fantastic. Their defense has been good, and there shouldn't be any issues there, and I think they'll continue to be good. I think Sean McDermott's smart when it comes to running that side of the football. But offensively, I, th- I think there are problems. And, and so it's a long way of saying the door is open for them to win this division. They've still got two games left against that team. The weather's going to get worse. We'll see how they end up performing. But to me, they have a quarterback, you know, whose arrow is pointing up. And I think he's going to get better as the year goes on. If they can stay healthy, the Patriots, there's no reason they shouldn't be in the playoffs, whether they win the division or not. And to me, they have a real chance of winning a playoff game. Could they win two? I wouldn't rule it out. Can they get to the AFC Championship game? I wouldn't rule it out. And and that, to me, would have been a crazy thought to have before this season started. But the way things have come together, and yes, they beat up on some bad teams, but to beat up on the Browns the way they did, to beat the Chargers on the road, Chargers were coming off a bye. That's a really talented team with a good, smart coaching staff and a great quarterback. They're, they're doing some things that we can't – ignore any longer we've got enough of a sample size in terms of evidence as to who this team is and can be and to me it's a playoff team and talk to me after those two bills games and it might be even more than that yeah well we will talk to you after those bills games but we want (laughs) to get your prediction for the game later and um, before we do, I just want to let you know that the NFL, I'm sure you're well aware, the NFL has been quite drunk lately with these weird <laughs> results that we've seen. I know. And it seems as though the AFC kind of is a, a lot more affected as well because these potential number one seeds, potential division winners on a high, and then these losses come in out of nowhere. We saw just with the with the Ravens there last Thursday night. You know, so it is, of course it's a trap game, but do you still think that the Patriots are going to come out on top? I do. And and I think it comes down to, it just comes down to talent for me. You know, even you could even take away the fact the Falcons are dealing with a rookie coach on a short week, Thursday night game. I think the Patriots have a lot of sort of um, intangible advantages in this one. But to me, it, it comes down to what you have on the field. And I think this is going to be, Maybe Matt Judon's best game of the season. He's working against Caleb McGarry, or he should be. He primarily works on right tackles. Caleb McGarry's one of the worst tackles in football so far this year. That's going to be a problem for them. So, you know, these Falcons, they're not really built to play from behind. The Patriots might not be either, but the Falcons definitely aren't. And so if the Patriots can get out to a lead, force the Falcons into some passing situations, I could see Matt Judon going crazy in this game with the hits and the pressures and the sacks. And, and so I'm going to say my prediction would be that the Patriots end up winning this one 31 to 10. That okay. should be a cover. Should be a cover. It's definitely a cover. <laughs> I think the Patriots are yeah. five and a half, yeah. uh, five and a half points. They should roll. They should roll. And if they don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is, you know, playing both sides of the fence. These Thursday night games, I mean, the, the NFL has been drunk, period. These Thursday night games have been drunk for like, 10 years now, right? So like anything can happen in these games. So if they end up just eking out a win, I don't think that is a huge indictment of who the Patriots are as a team. I'm sure they'd be happy to win no matter what, but 
just given everything that we can see and that we know about these two teams right now, the Patriots really should roll. Brilliant stuff. Phil, it's been it's so great to talk to you, uh, previewing the game this evening and talking about the Patriots, obviously, as a whole. Before we do let you go, for anyone interested, where can they find your work on podcast? Yeah, they can find all of our stuff at NBCSportsBoston.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Phil A. Perry, constantly, annoyingly so, tweeting out links and podcasts. Uh, the podcast that I host is called The Next Pats Podcast. Uh, every week we try to bring on some kind of guest that's um, that's that's looking generally at the younger players on this Patriots roster. In the offseason, we really go nuts, and it's a very draft-heavy podcast, which I love. I love the draft. I love everything about the draft, and so we talk about it all offseason long. In-season, we're more focused on whether it's the rookies or the second-year guys uh, and how they're performing. So as you can imagine, it's become essentially the, the Mac Jones podcast. Um, week after week, we talk a lot about the, the rookie quarterback. Uh, but that's a lot of fun. You can find that anywhere you get your podcast. We're on YouTube as well. And uh, and so hopefully people uh, can check us out there. Brilliant stuff. Again, thanks so much. Um, we hope to speak to you again, um, if not before the end of the year, at some point uh, during it. Um, once again, thanks so much. Anytime, guys. Happy to be on with you. My mom is going to be thrilled that I spoke <laughs> to a couple of buddies in Ireland, talk some football. Um, very proud Irish American. I'm half, I'm half Irish, half Italian, but County Clare, uh, Lahinch, oh, okay. um, nice. uh, still have some family in the area there. So maybe they're listening as well. Um, but yeah, my mom really first and foremost, and you guys know how important that is. She's, she's going to be absolutely psyched. So she probably, hopefully will be listening to this episode just on her own, like between 12 and 15 times. So like we're we're gonna be bumping up the numbers here. We're gonna be getting that thing going. That's grand. That'll be doubling our numbers. So we'll be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, we it. really we really appreciate it, Phil. And uh, we do hope you enjoy uh, the game and hopefully that your uh, score prediction comes true because I know uh, I know I'm I'm gonna have to bet the for them to cover now. Have to have to. If they don't, if they don't. You can call me and scream at me. It's okay. It's okay. We're all good. <laughs> That's no problem. That's no problem. After your mom watches this, I'm sure she'll be doing yeah, it. And you know what? Really. She would back you up on yeah. that. She would back you up yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent stuff. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be uh, looking at the Falcons side of tonight's game. And you're welcome back to the Under Center podcast with Dara and Jake. Of course, we are just finished up speaking to Phil Perry there from NBC Sport in Boston. And we're going to look at the Falcons side of tonight's game. And we are delighted to be joined by Michael Rothstein from ESPN. Michael, it's so great to speak to you. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm great. Thanks for having me. This is, I think my first ever European podcast. So I'm very excited about that because I'm, I travel a lot. In the off season, I love going over to Europe. Ireland has actually been one of my favorite trips uh, that I've ever taken. So, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with a new audience with my weird accent that I'm sure that y'all are like, "What is this?" And now I'm throwing y'all in, and you're just like, "What is this language?" So, we're, thank you for having me. Is that that's my long spiel for that? No problem at all. Look, Michael, if you can understand us throughout the whole interview, we'll, we'll be impressed too with some with our accents. So we'll, we'll get through this together um, and we'll be fine by the end of it. But just out of curiosity, you said you traveled around Ireland. Where did you get to visit? Uh, yeah, I mean, I spent most of my time in Dublin. 
Uh, I did get asked to Cliff some more, which is uh, to me, I I'm guessing, I'm guessing kind of for people in Ireland, it's similar in the United States to going uh, maybe to like Zion or something, but, or maybe it's cliche to go there. I don't know, but that, that was like a transformative experience for me to go there. Just the beauty of it was incredible. And I'm someone who really likes to go hiking as well. And, and just seeing all of that was, was awesome. Uh, and then I went to Galway from there for, for a day. And it was funny. I didn't want, I never do like bus tours. Like that's just not my thing. I'm very much a solo traveler, that whole deal. And basically I took it because driving on the wrong side of the road or sorry, the opposite side of the road, because it's not the wrong side there <laughs> here. It messes you up. But, uh, I just was like, this is some sort of terrible accident waiting to happen. So I was like, I'm going to not rent a car and take this bus. And because I'm a journalist and always kind of looking for stories, I ended up sitting in the back of this bus with a whole bunch of Pittsburgh Penguins fans, which is an NHL team <laughs> here in the United States. And they actually travel to all these places around the world and they always bring their Penguins jerseys and take pictures of it. And actually some of their photos are in the uh, uh, arena in Pittsburgh. So I ended up writing about that on that trip but oh yeah i know galway was awesome i wish i had had a little more time to explore there my hope is to maybe take my dad back because my dad's never been to europe and he's a big golfer as am i so and i didn't get to play over there actually so i my hope is to maybe take him over to either ireland or england or maybe both and play some golf hopefully in the off season here uh if you know covid cooperates Oh, well, now that you've been a guest on the show, when you're over here and you bring the golf clubs, it's standard that you're going to have to give us a call and we'll, we'll bring you out to some courses. Done. And, and done we'll and have done. To, we'll have to forgive us. I don't think me and Dara are quite the good of golfers, so most of it is an excuse to go to the pub. Oh, no, you, you will fit in well with my dad and I then. This will be, uh, this will be a great round. Excellent. Many balls will be lost. <laughs> don't worry we'll find we'll find them at the bottom of the Guinness glass it'll be grand yeah. <laughs> but we are here uh, not just to talk about uh, golf and Ireland we are here to talk about the Thursday night football game of course the Atlanta Falcons welcoming the New England Patriots into uh, Atlanta and you know it's been sort of an up and down season so far for the Falcons four and five you know a really difficult defeat at the weekend against the Cowboys preceding that was or before that, I should say they had a really, really good divisional win against the saints. You know, it's with Arthur Smith's first season as well. What, what have you made of it so far? I think it's been honestly a lot like what I expected it to be. You look at this roster, right? And I'd said this before the season uh, or on every platform I've ever talked on in that, they do not have depth. I think their frontline talent is pretty good at a lot of positions, even though some of that talent has not played up to expectation or is not available at the moment. And my biggest concern was, well, when injuries hit certain positions, what is that going to look like? Because they didn't, they had to make a lot of moves, a lot of restructures, trading Julio Jones to even get to the salary cap number. And you saw that too, because a lot of the free agents they signed were guys on one-year deals because they couldn't afford to sign guys to multi-year deals. And the one guy that did, Mike Davis, who they signed to a two-year deal, is actually 
vastly underperforming, I think, a lot of people's expectations. They'll never say that publicly, but listen, you signed him to be your number one running back and he's behind Cordero Patterson, Cordero Patterson in rushing yards. I don't think that that was the plan. So I look at it and I say, well, for what their roster is, for what their schedule is, they're not bad. They're, they're doing about what I figured their high end might be. You know, maybe they should have won that Washington game because they kind of collapsed there. But they had, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, they have an incredibly high variance in that they can have incredibly good games. Like when they played the Saints, when they played the Jets over in, in, uh, in London, even though, I mean, listen, the Jets are not a good team, right? But the Saints are. But then they've mixed that in with really terrible performances like Philly in the opener. Carolina, where, yes, it was a one-possession game, but listen, their offense was atrocious that game. And then the complete tire burnout that was Dallas. So I think that they're kind of just a team that's going to be very unpredictable this season. You don't know exactly what you're going to get from them week to week, which in the NFL is the definition of a mediocre football team. And I think that that's probably where they are right now. And and that's not a bad thing. There are fans in Atlanta who are like screaming for Arthur Smith's job. And I'm like, well, hold on a minute here. Like, no, first of all, he's in his first year. Second of all, if you watch their offensive game plans, more often than not, they're good offensive game plans. It's not his fault, but they're on, they're in the situation they are between the cap and between some of the talent level they have. Sure. He's learning on the job as well. So I look at this and I say, yes, this is a long answer for saying, I think they're about where I expected them to be. And this game will be critical. I think New England is play. If you asked me a month ago, I thought that this game would be a, a kind of market off as a win for Atlanta, because I think Atlanta, I thought Atlanta maybe found something. New England was struggling. Now New England is maybe the hottest team in the NFL right now. And I don't really, other than maybe Tennessee. And I don't, necessarily know if Atlanta can handle that, especially because Cordero Patterson is questionable as of right now when we're recording this. Arthur Smith said Wednesday that he's going to be a true game time, figure it out during warm-ups decision. Hayden Hurst has missed the last two days of practice, and that generally doesn't bode well on a short week for you. So I think all of a sudden, offensively, I don't know. Russell Gage has been, like we're talking about guys who've underperformed. Russell Gage has been very inconsistent. Olamide Zacchaeus has not been all that consistent. And they just, Calvin Ridley's obviously on the NFI list dealing with, with personal issues. So they just don't have the offensive options right now other than Kyle Pitts and Patterson if he plays. And then on defense, listen, this was a defense that had major questions going in. They you looked at this roster and you wonder how they were going to rush the passer besides Grady Jarrett and Dante Fowler and Fowler has been hurt. And that answer remains is how do they rush the passer? They haven't been able to do it with much success. And that hurts what they're able to do in the secondary. They're having some issues in the secondary as well, particularly at the second corner spot. Although I think Fabian Moreau and Avery Williams have played better than they showed on Sunday. And that, like I said, was just a terrible matchup for them. Dean Pease admitted on Tuesday that they had some blown assignments in zone, which 
kind of force him into man, which he didn't want to do because he knew what that was going to mean. And we all saw what that meant, which was, you know, CD lamb played a half and basically had a game's worth of production and a half. And Dallas could have named their score offensively if they wanted to. I mean, if they really, really wanted to, I believe they could have put up 60, you know, I mean, that's how they were rolling. And then they pulled guys. So yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of where they are. Long answer. <laughs> Michael, I, I do want to ask you. Sorry, ahead, Jake. I was just going to say very quickly. I must say, you were saying earlier about Mike Davis, as some people won't say that he's underperformed. I will say happily that he's underperformed. As someone who owns him in two fantasy leagues, he has vastly underperformed my expectations. But sorry to interrupt there, Jake. Oh, no, he absolutely has. There's no question about that. Listen, what, this is the truth of it. When you ask a coach about a a running back and the first thing they point who is maybe supposed to be a featured back in your offense. And the first thing they talk about is pass protection. That's not good. That's not a good sign. And that's what Dave Ragone did when I asked about Mike Davis. I think it was me who asked about it uh, a week ago and he t- pointed to the pass protection and what he does in pass protection. Well, Mike, that, that, if that answer was about Wayne Gallman, fine. Because like Wayne Gallman, you know, he has a specific role. There are certain guys that have specific roles and they're really good at that. And that's why they're they're on the field. But if this guy is supposed to be a featured guy and that's the answer, that's a problem. And that tells you, I think, a lot without telling you stuff. Michael, I did want to ask, you mentioned earlier just uh, about the defense. Um, and I was just reading, I seen a quote from, I think it was DMPs or the defensive coordinator. Obviously, he's a first year defensive coordinator. And somebody had kind of asked him whether it was, personnel or whether it was scheming and he kind of said that um uh i'm not losing my point he kind of said that uh he had kind of whittled down the defense down to from like his full playbook down to 30 percent plays and still kind of struggling sometimes on the defense so i did want to know realize that you kind of dropped the 43 points to the cowboys and you're coming into a patriots game where they just dropped 40 odd points on the the browns so are you kind of thinking is a scheme, is a personnel, and are you worried in this game that something similar could happen? Oh, sure. I mean, I think that that's that. That's that this concern with any explosive offense in the NFL or any efficient offense in the NFL when they're playing the Falcons is that this defense will just kind of fall apart. But the, the converse of that is that you look at how they played against the Saints, and really for three quarters against the Saints, they were a good defense. They were aggressive. They were playing smart. Uh, obviously, things fell apart in the fourth quarter, but they ended up winning the game. So, yeah, Dean Pease. So, okay, so I'll break this down for you pretty quickly. So, Dean Pease, yes, yeah, first year defensive coordinator, but he's been a defensive coordinator that longer than I don't know how old y'all are. I'm 41. Dean Pease's first job as a defensive coordinator happened the year before I was born. So, that's how long he's been in coaching. And he's been largely a defensive coordinator at most of the stops he's been at college or pro. I wrote about this in August and, and how he's evolved. And he's really been a trendsetter in covering in rushing from the secondary, for instance, uh, nickel blitzing. Like that, that's a big thing that he really honed uh, that so many teams use now. Like things that are standard now, he innovated back 25 years ago. So even though he's in his first year, he's, you know, 70 years old or so and brilliant defensive mind. He was saying that 
they basically, he gave this team too much too early in hopes that they would handle it. And then he saw what happened against Philly and he dialed it back and he dialed it back to about 20, 25% of his full menu of a playbook. And listen, when you're talking about a full menu of a playbook, he says his playbook is very fast. There's a lot of breath to it. And that's, I mean, like, so I'm not shocked that he wouldn't have installed hundred percent of his playbook. I don't think most defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators will install all of that in a season, especially their first year. And maybe not in, you know, two or three years, because there's some things that you're just not going to need or use because of your schedule, et cetera. And you can install in the week of a game. He said recently he bumped that up from 20, 25 to 30%. And that's kind of where they are right now. And that's basically because of what they can handle. And I think, you know, listen, 30% of a Dean Pease playbook is still a lot of stuff for sure. But it does speak to what they have perhaps personnel wise, what they have in some cases, talent wise. And remember also, and, and this goes underrated a little bit. Avery Williams hasn't, in my opinion, had a terrible season, especially considering the situation. Day three draft pick being thrown in as a rookie. Their hope initially, I'd asked Arthur Smith about this last week, and he had said, yes, Avery, Smith, Avery Williams is doing more than they had anticipated him doing as a rookie because Isaiah Oliver got hurt. Isaiah Oliver was playing very well before he tore his ACL. And that, I believe it was a torn ACL. My brain's a little bit scattered today. But that injury, I think, changed some of what they were able to do defensively because now they're mixing and matching at the nickel where they didn't need to do that before. So you're seeing a combination. Of, and plus, Jalen Hawkins didn't play last week. He got hurt in pregame warmups. And that, I think, changed some of what they were hoping to do defensively as well because he plays a lot of nickel. And or he can play deep safety if they wanted to drop someone else down in nickel, Deron Harmon or Eric Harris with Dallas being such a good run team with Zeke. So you look at that and you say, okay, that flipped things very quickly. And beyond that, they're mixing and matching at nickel right now, which they were hoping not to have to do. And then there are situations, if you do that, where you could get caught in a bad matchup. And I think that we've seen that. We saw that a lot against Dallas, but we've seen that from time and again. I think that's part of it too. Dante Fowler has been out. So you're all of a sudden working with, and now Steven Means is on IR and Steven Means is a guy, even though he doesn't have a lot of production, he's a guy they trust. So that's why he's in there to be an edge setter, to always be in the right spot. So now they're, they, before Dante Fowler came back, you're running Brandon Copeland, who's an average NFL linebacker, but a veteran who knows what he's doing. Ade Ogundeji, who's another really surprised player. He was another day three pick who's played a significant role. And then you've got other guys. James Vaughters was on the practice squad. So you're, that's what their pass rush is on the edge. So there's just not a lot that they can do and they're adding guys. And so that's, I think, part of this when it comes to their defense, but it goes back to what we were talking about before depth for them is a big problem. You knew it before the season and it's coming up big now and you're seeing it, frankly, in some cases, where you thought you would, and some cases to me like wide receiver, where you didn't necessarily think that would be an issue, even if they lost somebody like Calvin Ridley. Sounds like you're almost describing the New York Giants as well. <laughs> sure. No, I, I mean, the Giants, listen, I covered Kenny Galladay for every year of his career before this one in Detroit. And I mean, yeah, I mean, that, and you're seeing it with Kenny. Kenny's been hurt again, much like he was last year for most of the year. So, yeah, the Giants, when they played the Giants in week three, that was when they lost. 
that was when they lost a lot of guys. Blake Martinez was hurt in that game. Darius Slayton was hurt in that game. Sterling Shepard was hurt in that game. Kenny Galladay played, but was like half of what Kenny Galladay can be because of injuries. So yeah, no, the Giants have been more, I think the Giants have been beat up more than, than Atlanta this year by far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael, I want to ask about uh, Kyle Pitts. Obviously, the the highest uh, drafted tight end um, ever. You know, there was a lot of hype going into it. I guess he was sort of the consensus pick heading into it as well, that he was going to be Atlanta's one if they didn't trade down. Um, he leads the team in receiving yards at the moment. He only has the, the one touchdown, too. Um, is this the sort of productivity that they were hoping for when – they first drafted him. Obviously, it's his first season, but you know, or would they have liked him to be more of a, a red zone threat at this point? I mean, I think listen, you always want more production, right? But here's the reality with rookie tight ends: they struggle. Like Kyle Pitts, even in 16 games, will likely break the receiving yardage record for tight ends, which has been held for decades by Mike Ditka. Like. Mike freaking Ditka still holds that record in an age where tight, you know, receiving tight ends are the norm. Like that wasn't the case back when Mike Ditka played. That should tell you how difficult it is for a tight end to come in and contribute as much as Kyle Pitts has. And they use Kyle Pitts everywhere. They use him outside at the X. They'll move him in line. They'll motion him. They'll move him in the slot. They, Arthur Smith's been very creative with how to use Kyle Pitts. But there was always going to be this up and down nature to his game. And, you know, he has some games where he has two catches for 13 yards and is targeted six times. And he has some games like in London where he goes off for over 100 yards receiving. So I think this is – I'm sure they would like more from him in the red zone. I, I, I do believe that. But at the same time, you kind of have to expect that there's going to be up and down from him. He's already a top – what seven tight end in the NFL. And that's as a rookie. Once he has a full year and once they, they get more complimentary once they get more pieces around him, because remember that he's been playing without Calvin Ridley for a month. There were points he played without Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage. Now Hayden Hurst is hurt. Like there are times he's been the number one kind of option for defenses to try and take away. And he's still been productive. So I think he's giving them a good amount and I don't know if you could have expected that much more from him because he's still on pace. If my memory serves, I haven't done the math on it, but he's on pace still to, I think, break Dick's record to have a thousand yard season. He'd be only the second tight end ever to have a thousand yard season as a rookie. So he's playing well. It's just not consistent. But again, that you look at some of the best tight ends right now in the league, Travis Kelsey not consistent as a rookie. I covered TJ Hawkinson as a rookie. That guy was not consistent. He had one 100-yard game the whole year, and that was his first one. And then he got hurt. Uh, you look at other guys. I mean, Logan Thomas wasn't a tight end <laughs> for four years. Like you, Evan Ingram, who you know, Jake, you're familiar with it. He was not lights out as a rookie, and he was a first-round guy. So there are guys in this league that are very – talented tight ends who just don't have that big rookie year. Kyle Pitts is having that big rookie year, which is, I think, why you can believe. Gronk didn't have a huge rookie year, and he had a he had a very good rookie year, but it wasn't this 1,000-yard season. So I think he's on pace for what they're hoping for in his future, because that future is very bright. 
and he's giving them about, to me, what I expected this year. But you probably want to see a little more consistency, but you kind of understand what it is. Michael, if you were the, the Falcons GM in the draft just gone, are you staying at four, picking Kyle Pitts, or are you going for a quarterback, or are you looking for that trade back? Right. So this is an interesting conversation because there were two – I mean, okay, so three camps. With the trade, the, re, the truth of it is you need to have a trade partner, and you need to have a trade partner that's going to give you the value you want, and if not, you don't make that trade. So I don't know exactly how much they really had trading down as an option because there were so many quarterbacks in this draft. Now, I believe had one of those quarterbacks taken a top three fallen, like say uh, San Francisco had taken Kyle Pitts, which they wouldn't. By the way, George Kittle and other guys struggled as a rookie. Uh, Say they did that or, you know, what have you. Say the Jets took Kyle Pitts. Well, then I think that you would have seen that number four spot be very popular for a possible trade down. But that's not how that played out. So then it became quarterback or tight end or, or, you know, theoretically defensive player. But there weren't any necessarily elite defensive players, although Micah Parsons is playing his way into that right now. And I look at it and I say, my argument was, if you take a quarterback, you are opening that window to be competitive right now or really next year. And the way that this roster is, that's not realistic. You, There are two ways to build teams, in my opinion. One is you take the quarterback first and you build around the quarterback. But your window, theoretically, before you have to pay that guy oodles of money, is small. The second way is to build, a re- build everything else and then put the quarterback in last or close to last. And that's the Tampa Bay model. That's really what Indianapolis has tried to do. Uh, or they tried to do at least last year with Phillip Rivers. And personally, I would go that route because it extends your window because you're able to then figure out if you pay guys. If you have a vet, like they, and that's the other part, they have Matt Ryan. They weren't moving on from Matt Ryan because they restructured him. So you're losing one year, maybe two out of that five-year window with your rookie quarterback. And then even then, you still don't necessarily know if he's the guy because he probably hasn't played all that much. So to me, taking a quarterback at four wasn't really an option unless you absolutely love the guy. And if you absolutely love the guy, then you take him and basically you're moving on from Matt Ryan after 2021. But you feel like that is it. Because also, if you are a GM and a head coach and you take a quarterback and you miss on that guy, you might not get a chance to take it. Certainly as a coach, maybe as a GM, you might not get that second chance with the quarterback. So if you are the Falcons, would they? I would do what they did, which is take the sure thing, take the guy who very well could be a Hall of Famer versus taking the fourth best quarterback in the draft, which Mac Jones has looked really good. Justin Fields is not. And if they had taken Justin Fields, Justin Fields wouldn't be on the field now. Like it just, he wasn't going to be playing better than Matt Ryan. And look, Matt Ryan's playing really good football right now. I'd argue it's some of his best football, especially with the options, the weapons that he has around him or doesn't have. I think it's his best football since 2017. You know, or maybe even the MVP season in 16. And that's good. And you still have them under contract. And you can now start building other places because you have a lot of holes on this roster. And then when Matt Ryan's contract is up, or theoretically, I guess, after next season, or maybe even after this season, if you can find a trade partner, then you move on because you've started that process. 
And that to me, that to me is why I would have stuck with Kyle Pitts at four. And again, he's a really, really good player. Yeah, and, and looking ahead then to the game later on, um, you mentioned Mac Jones. He, he's come into a really rich vein of form there in New England. Um, but it's the running game that's probably going to cause the biggest obstacle for, for the Falcons in this one. And, you know, they, they have struggled to get pressure on the quarterback. They, they sort of pro- struggle to get pressure all season. And how important is it going to be now for this uh, defensive line and, and the linebacking core as well to, to stop the run? Yeah, it's listen, it's huge. And Arthur Smith is very big on you have to win in the trenches. Most coaches are. You have to win in the trenches and if you're going to win games and really games where they've really struggled, that's where they've had major issues. Carolina. I mean, yes, Carolina only put up 19 points, but 204 yards rushing. Like that's unacceptable from an NFL defense. And Dallas, everything failed. Philly, they couldn't handle it. I mean, and those are games where they lost on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They have to be better on the line of scrimmage here. Now, I think they have it in them, but they haven't been consistent. And the, at least from a pass rush perspective, I don't think they have the guys other than Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett. From a run defense perspective, I think they do have some of the guys. And Grady Jarrett is fantastic against the run. I mean, he's just a great player. But I think there's a little bit more potential there. Now, what's interesting to me is how – and I had – uh, Mike Reese on my podcast, which uh, should be out now. It's called From the Purge. Mike Reese is the excellent uh, ESPN Patriots beat reporter. And we were talking a lot about Mac Jones. And, you know, Mac Jones is throwing the ball downfield a little bit more last week against Cleveland, but it's a lot of short passes, screens, drags, slants, stuff like that, that they've been doing quick stuff. So that's going to negate a pass rush anyway. And that's a pass rush that Atlanta doesn't have, at least with any consistency. So, I think they're in trouble there for sure. And I'm curious to see how they handle that because I don't, I think if new England gets rolling on the ground, it could get, it could get ugly really quick. And then if you don't have Cordero Patterson, if you're Atlanta, my, this is what my strategy would be, would be you want to try and run the ball, even though you don't necessarily have the guys to do it because you want to shorten this game because you know how offense, how your offense is limited per se. And, and that, to me, I think is, is one of the more interesting storylines, on-field storylines of this game. Yeah, and so we're looking then on, on the other side of the ball there with, with the Falcons' offense. And, you know, the, the offensive line is staying in the sort of trenches with the offensive line and right tackle um, Caleb McGarry going up against Matthew Judon. That was uh, one thing that our, our previous guest there um uh, pointed out as a, a definite um, area to look at because of how good Judon's playing this year and, and sort of the struggles that McGarry's been having. Yeah, I mean, Kelly McGarry, they need to figure that out in the offseason. Uh, former first-round pick, so you need to make maybe decisions there. But they have a lot of tough decisions to potentially make in the offseason. I don't know. I mean, you, if I'm them, I put Lee Smith in. And again, if Hayden Hurst is out, you might see a lot of Lee Smith anyway. Lee Smith's not a pass catching threat, although he's having a career year as a pass catcher with like 13 receptions. But he is basically a offensive lineman in a tight end's body 
And it would not shock me if you'd see a lot of Lee Smith kind of attached to Caleb McGarry again or wherever, or if they move Judon around because Bill Belichick's done a lot of different stuff. If they do move Judon around, maybe he's on the same side as Jake Matthews, although Matthews versus Judon, I think is a, a more even matchup. But yeah, if he's against McGarry, I would put Lee Smith there a lot and try to help out. Maybe have a, a running back chip. You, you are going to pay a lot of attention to Matthew Judon if you are the Falcons. But one thing Arthur Smith has done really well throughout this season is he's done a good job of scheming his offense and his offensive line to create, to move the, to move the pocket, to create pockets, pockets, sorry, a lot of pockets there, but for Matt Ryan. And it's why you haven't seen Matt Ryan take a lot of sacks. Some of that is Matt Ryan's footwork and his savviness, but some of it too is Arthur, Arthur Smith's scheme of creating pockets, which allows Matt Ryan a little bit more time or an escape hatch to then, move a little bit and be able to make a throw or throw the ball away or something like that. So I think that they'll be able, they'll try to scheme some of that too, to alleviate some issues that Caleb McGarry might have, but it's the same issue in the middle of the offensive line with Jalen Mayfield, their left guard, who is a rookie and is going through his own rookies up rookie ups and downs to which you, you know, can expect. So they've got a couple whole spots on the offensive line that have holes. And like I said, I think they're going to do a lot of scheming and you're going to see a lot of quick passes, maybe not a lot of downfield shots to try and negate that. And you might see a lot of play action too. They've been doing that a decent amount this year. Yeah. And then um, we're, we're going to wrap it up here soon and quickly. And the, the loss of um, Ridley ha- has been tough on the team um, and he's obviously fighting his own, um, demons at the moment and we wish him all the best with that and you know Russell Gage I think there was a lot of people hoping he would have this breakout year now too um, is is there a, a, an opportunity there then for one of, of the other guys to sort of take that step up and is, is it maybe Russell Gage is maybe just naturally that number two receiver instead of being the you know the, the primary wide receiver um, he, he prefers the secondary role I wouldn't. I don't know if he prefers a secondary role. Every receiver wants to be the number one guy, more or less. But I think that's more where he's suited, and I don't think there's any question about that. You know, because right now, I mean, and let's be fair, he is not their number one receiver. Their number one receiver is Kyle Pitts or Cordero Patterson, and and the other guy is number two. Like Russell Gage is probably third in that pecking order of guys that Matt Ryan's looking to and, and guys are going to focus on. But he hasn't performed like that. Tajay Sharp has had a decent year. He's made tough catches. He's made tough, you know, grabs and tight windows. So that's a guy that maybe you see step up a little bit more. But listen, Tajay Sharp's been around, been a few different places. It hasn't always worked out for him. So it's not like he's this game breaker that's going to make a huge difference for you. Now watch, by the way, I say this and he goes for like 10, 140 and two touchdowns, you know, tonight. But I mean, I just don't see that. And, and that's part of the problem. Like I was talking about before about depth. There are some areas where you knew that it would be an issue if they lost a the top guy and some areas where you didn't think it was going to be an issue. I did not think it would be as much of an issue if they lost a the guy. Sure. Step down from Ridley to Gage, but I thought Russell Gage would be better. I thought Russell Gage had a shot at maybe before the season of having a thousand yard a year really did. And he just hasn't performed to that level. 
And beyond that, Olamide Zacchaeus, I thought, would have a better year. Now, he's gotten a few touchdowns, but it hasn't been, you know, consistent. And they need those guys. They need one of those guys to step up because right now they don't have, A, the depth, or B, the, how do I put this, like talent to to be deep at receiver. It's just not there. A guy to watch for, he's on their practice squad right now. Don't know if he'll get any sort of elevation for the game. Possibly by the time this airs, he will have been elevated. And that's a guy, Marvin Hall. Because Marvin Hall, what he gives Atlanta potentially that no other receiver on their team has is pure speed. I covered him a little bit in Detroit. He really only, I mean, he tries to run the full route tree, but his best route is a go. But he can take the top off of the defense. He can be a big problem. He's a guy that can get past almost any defensive back in the NFL if he's running a straight line route. And you hit that once or twice if someone blows a coverage, and that can be a field flipper, a game changer for you. So I'll be curious to see if Marvin Hall ends up elevated for this game. I don't know if that's going to happen. And if he is elevated for this game, how they use him. Because he's a guy that I think can offer them something that they need in their receiving core right now, which is a downfield threat. But, 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 going back to the offensive line questions that we were talking about before, if you don't think Matt Ryan's going to have enough time to get to that downfield option more than once a game, that also limits what you can do. And maybe then they they take a different game plan. Yeah, Grant, and, and before then we finally let you go, Michael, um, what is your prediction there for later tonight? Yeah, so I made this prediction on my podcast as well from The Perch. Please come and check it out. Uh, I I think New England uh, – sorry, I think Atlanta actually plays pretty well. I, I think that you see some inspired football from them in that they haven't won at home yet this year. They haven't really had a great performance at home other than part of that Washington game. So uh, national televised audience – they got, you know, beat real bad five days ago against Dallas. There's a level of like pride there. So I think they're going to play well. That said, that depth comes into play. The fact that they just don't have the offensive arsenal or the defensive options, I think that that hurts them at the end. So I think it's a close game. Uh, I took, I'm taking New England 28-24, I think is what I said. So it ends up being close, but I think New England, New England wins this game. Uh, they do just, I think they're the better team. Yeah. Well, that's saying we can't, it's really hard to predict now these last couple of weeks with all these sort of strange results. And especially these Thursday night games as well have been a little, a little crazy um, the last few weeks. So, they you always are. Thursday yeah. Night Football is the land of the wild and wacky, man. <laughs> well, look, the 49ers hadn't won a game all season, and then just this Monday night, uh, won a game at home, I should say, all season. And they go and beat like the, the best one of the best teams in the division <laughs> uh, at home when no one gave them a chance to. So, look, stranger things have definitely happened. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what I said at the top. The Falcons aren't a bad team. They're just a very average NFL team. And that on a lot of days can get you in a game. And the one thing with the Falcons, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, is I believe when they're in close games, 
they actually have an identity that they believe they can pull those games out. And we've seen it with Matt Ryan multiple times and Young Way Koo multiple times. They've won close games. Young Way Koo making, you know, what, three of their four wins. Young Way Koo has done it with a field goal at the buzzer to win. So they have that in them. And if they can keep it close, I think they can absolutely win this game. But it's a matter of keeping it close. And then do you have the ball at the end? And do you trust your defense at the end as well? And those are kind of some of the keys. I trust Matt Ryan at the end. I trust Arthur Smith's play calling at the end. That defense, I just can't, you just can't trust it at this point, in my opinion, at the end of games. And I think that's where you might see some faltering from the Falcons because they could very well have a lead at halftime. It would not shock me if they did. And if it just kind of, you know, that's how the game goes. Bill Belichick's a master at a lot of things. And, you know, if, (laughs) I would not want to be in a tight game with him at the end of the game. Grant, and, and one last one before before we let you go. Where can uh, people find uh, From the Purge podcast? Sure, yeah. So you can find From the Purge on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we're about 21 episodes in to the podcast. So we generally have – we run Mondays and Thursdays. Usually Monday is a game recap from Sundays. Th- Thursday is a preview of whatever that game is tomorrow. This week we'll actually have Thursday and Friday podcasts because they're playing. And then we'll have a bonus podcast on Monday. So that you can find wherever you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. And most importantly, you can read all my stuff over at ESPN.com. I have a story that's dropping today that I'm really excited about. I've been working on for a little while. So hopefully you'll read that and enjoy it and get, you know, learn a little bit more about one of the Falcons. Excellent stuff. Listen, Michael, it's been so great to speak to you today. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us, and we uh, hope you enjoy the game later. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully, you have me. Hopefully, uh, I can come back on again. I'd love to. Oh, uh, without doubt, without doubt, we'll uh, we'll have you back on, and we'll do a recap of uh, how poorly we pay we played that round of golf as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> it will be ter- it will be terrible, and we can recount it shot by shot. We should do a live we should do a live podcast uh, <laughs> from the course, and then you know there'll be a lot more expletives dropped than the none that were dropped on this podcast, and that'll just be on the first hole. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that that'll just be uh, from our from our tee shots on the first hole. That'll, that's all that we'll for. Um, but we won't mind because it, it it'll be uh, it'll be great fun anyway. But listen, like I said, thanks so much again. And look, that's where we're going to wrap up the show today. Um, Jake, as well as always, thank you very much. Thank you. And don't forget to follow us on our social channels as well at UndercenterPod on Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, YouTube UndercenterPodcast. You'll search there. That's where you get our shows. Audio side as well, just search under center podcast wherever you get your podcast. You'll find us there. Make sure you subscribe, you get all of our shows there too. Like I said, that is where we're going to wrap up this episode of the show. If you are staying up to watch the game, we hope you enjoy it. Um, but if not, maybe catch the highlights the next day. But until next time, stay safe and we'll see you soon. <laughs>